you want to get in on the action, we want to hear from you. Email us at faderoutemail at gmail.com with your questions, comments, picks, segment suggestions, you name it. We want to hear from you. We're on Instagram too. Slide in our DMs at Fade Route Podcast. Get at us. I'm going to tell y'all with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. Let's go, baby! Welcome to The Fade Route with D and Z. Here are your hosts, D and Z. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of The Fade Route with D and Z. I am Z and we have a little bit of big news coming out of the state of New York. Governor Cuomo as of February 23rd, we'll be allowing 10% capacity for the arenas and stadiums that have a 10,000 person total capacity or more. So that means Buffalo Sabres fans, New York Islander fans, New York Knicks fans, and New York Ranger fans. You could have upwards of 2,000 people admitted in to watch your teams play. And... This is a good step forward towards a return to normalcy, but like everything, there's always a catch. So if you want to attend these games, you have to test negative for COVID within 72 hours of the event. So I don't know how you're going to be monitoring this if you are the ticket venues, if you are the state. At the end of the day, it is a mandate on you, the individual, to tell the truth if you are feeling ill or if you're asymptomatic, I don't know what you're going to do about this because if you're asymptomatic, you don't even realize that you are ill. So there's a potential, there's always the potential, but If we are moving in the right direction like we are, all we can do is have some hope for this. And here he is. I've known this guy since our days on Carousel Shoes. Flight crew through and through through and through. The last QB in St. John's history. What's up, D? How's it going, man? Hey, uh, definitely, you know, good news coming out of New York. Uh, I was listening to Michael K. and the guys today, and there's a lot of mixed feelings about it. You know, if you want to go to a game how badly do you really want to go to that game some people are more comfortable with going to an outdoor event like baseball and other people are a little bit more conservative of going to maybe madison square garden for new york rangers hockey or new york knicks basketball you know are you gonna do that to go see lebron james play maybe the lakers are in town you want to get your test you want to show up and you want to follow the rules, stay six feet apart and view the game. But are you going to do that to see, I don't know, the Toronto Raptors on a Tuesday? Eh, I don't know. Same thing with the Rangers. If they're going to play somebody like the Penguins, yeah, maybe you're going to go and see that. But if they're playing one of the lesser teams. How's that going to work? The other thing is we talk about 10, 10% capacity. Well, who gets to go to these games? I mean, is there going to be some kind of a raffle? Uh, I would assume they have to let their season ticket holders who have pretty much paid for two years worth of games and haven't been able to go to any. I'm sure they're going to be allowed in. And then what happens when it comes to the playoffs? Like, how is that going to work out? So I think there's a lot of questions to be answered. I mean, personally, I'm, you know, I'm a huge sports fan, but I'm not in a rush to go into a stadium and watch a game. 
I'm not either. I mean, it's different if it's City Field or if it's Yankee Stadium where it is open air and there's so many more seats that you can literally have an entire row to yourself and have four or five seats in between you and the next guy. Here, because they're indoors, it's a limited number of configurations between basketball and and hockey for the shared space arenas like Madison Square Garden and the Barclays Center. So like that's gonna fluctuate. That number is gonna fluctuate because you can get more seats for a basketball game than you can for a hockey game. So and to your point, are your season ticket holders and I forgot you guys, I forgot the Nets fans, all six of you. You guys can go to the games now. My apologies and congratulations. Anyway, um your season ticket holders are going to have priority. But it makes you wonder, like, are you going to, or are they going to do it? Like, is Spike Lee, perfect example. Spike Lee, season tick, avid season ticket holder, longtime fixture of Madison Square Garden. Also in the age bracket where COVID-19 is, you know, kind of running rampant. Is this something that Spike would want to do just to get, a view of Nick's, you know, Nick's magic, you know, is it going to be something that he's going to want to do? And I don't necessarily think that that's going to win out. I think practicality is going to win out, win out at the end of the day, but that is going to open things up for a lot of other people. So if one, if one person doesn't go, another person will go. You may right. have to do something about the prices, though, if that's the case. I mean, if the season ticket holders balk at this, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have a conti- going to have to have a contingency plan in place in order to get these people into your building. Right, but then the other question is, is like, what tickets are going to be available? I mean, how close are you going to allow these people to get to the action? Are you going to be like the Hawks and let them on the baseline and the sideline? Or are they going to be in the 200s, the 100s? And yeah, and the other question is, is how much money are you going to pay for this? Like, how much time is it going to take? And how many hours before a game do I have to get there just to get into the building? I mean, there's so many things that are going to have to be ironed out before this really becomes something I think I'd want to take part in. No, definitely. And if Governor Cuomo wants to move forward with this, and it sounds like he does, he should have a, like any good leader, should have a sit down with all of the owners and say, what do you need from me? How do, how is this going to work in your building? I mean, I can tell you what to do, but at the end of the day, it's your building. You know your logistics better than I do. I'm in Albany. So just tell me what you need and we will put together a plan to make it happen. So I don't know if that's going to be the case or if it's just going to be uh, you know, like a Pandora's box. And as of right now, it's really more of a Pandora's box. That's for sure. The other thing is, is, you know, you're saying that, okay, Madison Square Garden can seat, I think like 20,000 people. So you're going to let around 2000 people in. That's 2000 people that are going to view the game. You know, what about all the security? What about all the people working the stands? Like there's going to be more than 2000 people in this building. And, uh, you know, you just don't we're just at a point in this pandemic where we just we just don't know. We don't know enough. Somebody gets to the stadium. They could, like you said, lie about their last test. And who knows? They could have tested negative three days ago. But in the last two days or in the last 24 hours, they could have got it. So, you know, you, you could sit six feet apart. You could play all that game unless you have an N95 mask. You're not really protecting anybody. No, not at all. And to your point, you have security, you have concessions workers. Are you even going to have concessions workers, concession stands open? Are you going to allow people to bring in their own food and drink? Is that going to be is that going to be any more of a cluster? Because I don't know the last time I went to a game, like I had my gym lock. I accidentally left it in my backpack and you thought I was trying to smuggle something in to, you know, throw on the ice. So like that's because you were going to smuggle something in and throw it on the ice. Well, it was Rangers Caps, man. And fortunately, the Rangers won. For their sake, the Rangers won. But that's neither here nor there. Like, are you going to, I mean, yes, ticket revenue will be there. Ideally, you'd want concession revenue to be there. But 
that's also you're gonna have people waiting in line you're gonna have clusters of people in the kitchens like that's another back end of the house area of concern that you need to have in addition to security like you were saying so this these things really need to be ironed out and fought through before i mean you can you have until the 23rd so they do have some time but there's definitely there needs to be more kinks ironed out of this before you can move forward. I think Buffalo is the only one who doesn't really have as much to worry about because for one, it's just them in the building. So it's not like, okay, so it's 20,000, it's 2000 for me, but it's 50, it's 1500 for the people that I'm sharing. We don't have to worry about that because it's just the Buffalo Sabres. So the other stuff can be a little bit more, uh, it can be easily dealt with. But you, since you have, I mean, the easiest one to deal with is probably Madison Square Garden because Dolan bo- owns both teams. So it's going to be like, all right, it's good for the Rangers, good for the Knicks. Like, we can get that, we can iron this out. Barclays might be a little bit more difficult because you have two owners and like they may have competing interests and there may be something with that. So I don't know, it remains to be seen. But they definitely need to have a sit down and really iron this thing out. The other part is, is that everyone's going to have to be commuting to this game. So they're going to be taking trains. They're going to be taking buses. So what are they bringing from those areas into that building? It's, it's, it's a clusterfuck. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a total clusterfuck. And they really need to think this thing through. It's time for the fade-in where we give a nod to the trending sports stories of the week. But one thing we don't need to think through is the result of Super Bowl 55, boys and girls. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the first team to host a Super Bowl in their own stadium, protected the house, putting a whooping on Kansas City, 31-9. to if you had that, good for you. Nobody else did. I had them scoring 31 points. You did. You had you had who you I thought you had the Chiefs scoring 31 points. No, though. no, no. <laughs> all in all, it was not a great day for Patrick Mahomes. 26 to 49 for 270 and two picks. Travis Kelsey had a pretty good day. 10 for 133. Did not find the end zone. So Kudos to defensive coordinator Todd Bowles for essentially holding them to a Harrison Butker day, who three for three in field goals. Brady, Tom Brady was super efficient, 21 to 29 for 201 and three TDs, two of them to Gronkowski. Gronk was six for 67. Fournette had a pretty decent game. Leonard Fournette ran 16 times for 89 yards and a touch. All in all, is this going to be remembered as a Buccaneers win or a Kansas City loss? Yeah, I mean, the, the Buccaneers really turned the corner after that Thanksgiving day, that Thanksgiving weekend loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, but you just weren't sure what the game plan really was here for the Chiefs. I mean, they didn't make any adjustments. It looked like they just tried to do what they did the last time they played the Bucs when we were going to air it out to Tyreek Hill, throw it underneath to... Travis Kelsey and and do whatever they, you know we want, but they ran into a different team this time at the Super Bowl, and the Bucks. I mean, Brady was pretty pedestrian, right? Two hundred. I think he had around two hundred yards passing. Yep, two hundred. He, he completed about 20, 20 passes. Nothing crazy. He was super efficient. Uh, you know, didn't turn. He didn't turn the ball over. Pat Mahomes, on the other hand, did. I. Uh, he just. It wasn't what anybody expected. You know the. Tampa Bay Buccaneers came out swinging, and you kind of thought that the Chiefs were going to come out swinging too and drop some bombs and score, and it just didn't happen. You had a play on the goal line where the, the Bucks go for it. It's fourth and one, fourth and goal. Chiefs come up with a big stop, and you're like, all right, this is it. Chiefs are going to come downfield and score, and we're going to have a game, and it wasn't. It was. I think he might have got one first down. He might even went three and out. And it was just, it was back to the old, it was back to the same thing again. Well, kudos to the defensive line of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They flushed Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket all game, 
Shaq Barrett was living in the backfield. JPP was living in the backfield. They really didn't get much running going until the second half. And even then, it was only a couple of plays. I mean, Edwards Hilaire had 64 yards, but I think one was on a 35-yard gain. So if you take that out, that was, you know, not a great performance. The Chiefs offensive line, missing Fisher, who left the AFC title game with in, with an injury. Uh, you can tell he was sorely missed. Patrick Mahomes is running for his life. He's, thro- he's throwing the ball from a diving position. The ball is rising, and somehow he almost gets it into the end zone. <laughs> I, I think that was to uh, Darrell Williams, I believe, or it might have been Demarcus Robinson, one of them, but it ended up being a drop. But uh, I mean, for him to scramble, play, you know, jailbreak, whatever you want to call it, but for him to be running over 400 yards, just being chased by guys like Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and being spied line to line by both Levante David and Devin White. I mean, it was an impressive performance by the front seven of the Buccaneers. But uh, I really think that it's really more of, the Chiefs offensive line just not being there. Because, I mean, if you have to run for your life as the quarterback, you're not opening, you're not going to be opening holes in the running game either. So that's definitely going to affect it as well. I know we were going back and forth during the game. I said, if there's any kind of trick play now, that now would be the time to open it up. You know, this is the last game of the year. If there's something that nobody's ever seen, like now would be the time to do it. Like back when the Steelers, in the mid 2000s with Bill Cower, they, they always had that one play in the back of their toolbox with Antoine Randall L. Like mm-hmm. there was always that one play that could get you 20 yards. And I don't know if Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy were unwilling or they just didn't have that in their toolbox to get Todd Bowles off his game plan and get him uncomfortable. Because like Todd Bowles called the game of his life as a defensive coordinator, and he made the Jets look stupid for getting rid of him. So I, I, I really don't know. It's a combination of the two, but it really, it really does boil down to the offensive line being so porous. Yeah, I mean, I, I really disagree with you on this. I, I really I understand that they were shorthanded. You know, they, they lost both their tackles, but they knew this two weeks ago. So if your plan was to come in and drop bombs on this defensive line, who I believe was number three in the league against the pass, then that's on you, man, because you had a chance to run the football. I think they were in the bottom 10 in the league against the run. I might be wrong, but you had to make changes. You had to understand the situation, and you never broke away. You saw it wasn't working. Guys were dropping passes. You had Tyreek Hill drop passes. You had Travis Kelsey drop passes. Mahomes is running for first downs. It's not working. What we're doing is not working. Let's get Le'Veon Bell in here. Let's run the ball with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Let's get Darrell Williams in the flat. Like That needed to be the conversation that was had, and it wasn't. I do think Todd Bowles did a great job putting together the game plan but the game plan wasn't really that difficult, right? I mean, you and I saw this while we were watching the game. We're playing too deep. Mm-hmm. Let them run the ball. And we're going to come at them with five guys. And then we're going to add more if they decide they want to drop back and throw the ball some more. Let's remember what this offense is about. Okay, let's remember what the Kansas City Chiefs offense is about. It's I'm Patrick Mahomes. I can put the ball wherever I want in this field. But I need time. I need to drop back. Guys are going to scramble around. Guys are going to run free. And then whether I'm doing it off of no feet, one foot, one toe, (laughs) doesn't matter. I can put it anywhere I want to. But if I don't have time, if guys do not get open, if guys do not catch the ball, if we're committing defensive holding plays, if if we're committing fouls, if we're committing penalties, That's a recipe for disaster. No one's going to escape that. So as much as I do want to give credit to Todd Bowles, which I thought the game plan was great. And the other thing is, remember, they got got two players back in this game that they didn't have, right? Because Winfield, I think Winfield was hurt. There were a couple players that were hurt the first time they played. And they dogged them. Like, 
Chiefs dogged them when they played last time, embarrassed them. Tariq Hill had like over 200 yards receiving in the first half. So you had to come in knowing you had to have an A, B, and a C plan. And they came in with an A plan, and they stuck with their A plan. And that's why they only put up nine points. That's true. And reflecting on this a little bit and seeing the, the way the game unfolded, it was remarkably similar to the game that they just played two weeks ago against the Green Bay Packers. A quarterback running around like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to make time for anybody to get open. Anybody. Doesn't matter who. So Aaron, I saw a lot of overlap between preparation for Aaron Rodgers and preparation for Patrick Mahomes. Grant, granted, at this point in his career, like Patrick Mahomes is better. I mean, he's definitely got a slightly stronger arm. He's a little bit more mobile. Granted, the turf toe certainly slowed him down, and he did have successful surgery to repair that. But, you know, the Buccaneers already played this game once. So it's not so much that, you know, they need to prepare for a different opponent. They just needed to prepare for different players. And I think that definitely helped them out a little bit. Um, but the other, thing, the other thing I want to point out as well is, Let's not forget, Patrick Mahomes did not play that great of a Super Bowl last year. If I recall, he had about 250 yards passing. He missed a lot of guys. There weren't that many drops, but he missed a lot of wide-open guys. And he also had two interceptions in that game. So it's not, it's not like Pat Mahomes is Superman on the brightest stage. No. And you give, if you give a team two weeks to prepare for an opponent, chances are the team they're going to hamper that opponent unless you put something in that the other team is not prepared for. So, like, to your point, to your credit, you were first guessing this. Where is Le'Veon Bell? Like, I guarantee you he would have sparked the team a little bit, something. But, again, not, not a peep. He was nowhere to be found. But... All credit, you know, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You play the game that's in front of you. You don't necessarily, I mean, if they're not going to put Le'Veon Bell out there, like, you're not going to sweat it. So, ultimately, the season's now over. Tom Brady was named Super Bowl MVP for a decent performance. I wouldn't say it was earth-shattering, but usually in these instances, a quarterback will get the the nod for the Super Bowl MVP unless it's just a dog of a game and there's a situation or one play that occurs that will tip the scales in another direction. Overall, what do you think? Did Brady deserve the MVP or was there somebody else on that team or maybe multiple people that could have done a co-MVP situation? Who do you think should have been given the MVP? Yeah, so in my opinion, the first person that I thought really should have got the MVP was Rob Gronkowski because he had 67 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Next in line would have been my boy Lenny Fournette with almost 90 yards rushing and 46 yards receiving and a touchdown. And the last guy I would have had was uh, Devin White, who had, you know, he had 12 tackles, two for loss. Uh, He was an animal out there. I didn't see Tom Brady deserving the MVP. He didn't he didn't really do anything that spectacular in my opinion. No, I mean those are game manager numbers, 21 and 29 for 201. Granted, I know the number I know the numbers don't show it, but Shaq Barrett had a had a great game. I mean, he was he was really the force behind Pat Mahomes running all over the field and running for his life. Yeah, if I'm going to give them if I'm going to give a co-MVP, I would give it to Barrett and JPP. They really bracketed Patrick Mahomes and yeah. made him run for his life. So you can get on board with that. I mean, if we look at Levante David and Devin White, yes, they did a good job, but primarily your position as a linebacker, you're in the middle of the field. And Travis Kelsey did have a heck of a game, even though he did not find the end zone. And we we also discussed that in real time too. The way they were playing, they were giving him the middle of the field. 
if Patrick Mahomes could just buy time to get set and actually deliver the ball to Kelsey, he could have even had a bigger game. But I, I think giving it to JPP and Barrett as uh, each a co-MVP, I think that would have been fair. Gronkowski definitely with the two touchdowns. I think he would have earned uh, at least some consideration. Uh, but you know how it is. It's the same thing that we're going to discuss later with the regular season MVP award. It's usually a quarterback unless it is a dog of a game. And I didn't find this to be a dog of a game. I'm a defensive guy. I like, I like watching defensive games. I can see where people would think, oh, 31-9, it's a blowout. But you know, this game held my attention. It's not something like, like the first uh, – the Seahawks game with the Broncos – like that game, like after the the safety, I, I just got taken. I got taken out of that game completely. Brutal. You know, that game was awful. Like the the Panther Panthers Seahawks, to, uh, Panthers Broncos, I should say. Like that game kind of took me out of it. But I mean, this game definitely held my attention, and there was there was drama in this game. So I don't think it was you know the snoozer that people think it was. In addition to the Super Bowl and the NFL Awards ceremony, we also had the Pro Football Hall of Fame's Class of 2021 announced. Offensive lineman Alan Fanica, head coach Tom Flores, wide receiver Calvin Johnson, safety John Lynch, quarterback Peyton Manning, scout Bill Nunn, wide receiver Drew Pearson, and defensive back Charles Woodson were all named to this year's class that will go into Canton as immortals. You have a beef with anybody on here or did the ed- big time oh. beef. Big time okay. beef. I have a, and you might not agree with me, but I really have a beef with Calvin Johnson being a first ballot Hall of Famer. And here's why. The guy is not in the top ten or even the top twenty in any receiving categories for the National Football League. He's 32 all-time in receiving yards. He's 47 in receptions. He was part of a 2008 Detroit football team that didn't win any games. Other notable wide receivers that I think were better than him that were not first ballot or Hall of Famers was Terrell Owens, Marvin Harrison, Chris Carter, Tim Brown, Isaac Bruce. These are all guys that were not first ballot Hall of Famers, but Megatron was. Even Steve Smith. Steve Smith was on the ballot this year. He didn't get in. He's top 10 in receiving yards. So, now I get it. He was a big dude and a great player. I'm not, I'm not doubting him as a really great player. And there, an argument could be made, of course, that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be there. He definitely changed the game. I've never seen <laughs> I've never seen three defensive backs line up on one man during a regular play. And that happened regularly for Megatron. But first ballot? Really? What say you? So do you think, to follow up on you before I, I chime in here, do you think this was due to the pressure he kind of put on them. Cause I know he said that he, he would be very, he would boycott a little bit if he was not a first ballot hall of famer. And we've discussed this before. Cause Randy Moss wasn't Terrell Owens. Wasn't Chris Carter. Wasn't like, I mean, I think Moss was a first ballot. I, I think he was, I'd have to look it up. I think he was, but the other guys weren't Ter- Terrell Owens. Wasn't Chris Carter, Chris Carter, Chris Carter. Megatron's better than Chris Carter? I, I can't say that he is. Like, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but but also Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt deserve to be, you know, like, okay, I, I, I get I, it. So. Not first ballot. And now, so, so now you have next year, right? Next year, I think you have, like, Andre Johnson's up. Yep. And, and Anquan Bolden. And Anquan Bolden. So now, I mean, you're going to tell me that Megatron's first ballot, but Andre Johnson isn't? Like, and and if, so... you're, if you're talking face of the franchise, this means, to, at least to me, because Calvin Johnson got in in the first ballot, that Andre Johnson should get in on the first ballot because he was the face of the shitty-ass Texans when they sucked. 
The guy was on a team that didn't win any games. And the other beef I have with Calvin Johnson is he used to get caught from behind all the time. Like, Jerry Rice never got caught from behind, okay? Tim Tim Brown. Tim Brown's another guy. Tim Brown used to return kicks. I think Tim Brown won the Heisman for Notre Dame, too. He did. And this and he he wasn't the first ballot Hall of Famer. And and Tim Brown Tim Brown went to a Super Bowl. Like Randy Moss went to a Super Bowl. Terrell Owens went to a Super Bowl. Isaac Bruce went to and won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I I just and like I said, it's more or less and that's that's when you get into the situation with the writers having the votes, and then you have the issues with you know Pro football, it's almost like they let everybody in. At least baseball, they got some rules, they got some guidelines. There's some good, there's some damn good baseball players that aren't in the Hall of Fame. And it's like Dion said, you know, it's it's the Hall of Fame. It's for greatness. It's not for very good, extremely good, greatness. And yes, I think he impacted the game. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be in there, because he absolutely should be. But first ballot? Dude, you want a you want a team that didn't win any games. Like, where do you put him? If you put him in the Hall of Fame, like, what road is he going? Don't put him next to Jerry Rice. No. Don't put him next to Randy Moss. No. Don't put him next to Terrell Owens. Nope. Come on, as much listen as much as trouble as Terrell Owens was, you look at his numbers; they're just ridiculous. This guy's forty seventh in receptions. His job was to catch the ball from a team that all they were doing were they were behind and they had to throw all the time. He was thirty. He was thirty. He's thirty second in in uh in receiving yards from a team that was always behind and through all the time. Who had Matthew Stafford, who was arguably one of the one of the good passers of this generation. In in nine years of playing, he was only All Pro three times. And that's also what the, are we talking? That's also the issue too. Like for me, what are we talking about right for, now? Like for what, me, am I, am I reading this right? Well, for me. Like, he's a victim of retiring young, whereas Barry Sanders retired young, and he was enhanced. And I think a lot of it has to do with the positions that they played. Like, it was a calculated gamble to retire young for Calvin Johnson. And, you know, better guys came along. Better guys were there before him. uh, Calvin Johnson was very good. But Barry Sanders retired at 31 as a fucking legend already. Like, there's a difference. Like, to me, there's a difference. <laughs> like, you pull a Barry Sanders, you better be fucking Barry Sanders. And you want to listen, you want to retire early. That's on you, buddy. I don't, I don't know what to what? tell you. I'm looking at his stats right here. There, out of his, <laughs> out of his eight, out of his nine years, there were three years where he had five touchdowns or less. You're a receiver. But, but then Four. that also goes for guys like Andrew Luck, Patrick Willis, and Luke Keekley. Like, this is the risk you take. I get your. You know, you're you're not your case isn't going to be, it's not going to be uplifted because of the situation. Guys are just going to pass you. The game keeps going. So, like, look, Alan Fanica, a legend as an offensive line, great player. John Lynch, great player for the Broncos and the Super Bowl Broncos. champion. Super Bowl champion. Peyton Man, Peyton Man, Peyton Man, Peyton Man. No. I mean, I don't need to say anything. I don't need to make Peyton Manning. I can make an argument. I can make an argument for him not being first ballot either, but that's a that's a that's for another day. <laughs> yeah, Charles Woodson. Like Charles Woodson was great at two positions. He he moved inside to play safety as well. He wasn't just a corner. He was a shutdown corner, but then he moved in as well. Drew, Drew Pearson, like great for you know great player for the Cowboys. Overlooked the year before, so that was a make good. Coach Tom Flores won as a coach, an assistant coach, and a player. Like, that's a no-brainer. Like, that one should have been done a long time ago. And then scout Bill Nunn. Like, Bill Nunn like, helped build the Steel Curtain. Like, uh, all these... He's your godfather, too, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. Like, he, he might have slipped me a little something in his will. Like, I'm not just going to... I'm not going to deny that. But, uh, you know, all these guys had, had legitimate... Legitimate claims to being in the hall of fame calvin johnson he didn't play long enough like in my opinion like he needed to do more larry fitzgerald larry fitzgerald is second all-time in receptions 
Yeah. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald for me is first ballot. Maybe that's me. Yeah, I could. Yeah, he's got records. He's he's number two in receiving yards and number two in receptions. Hello? I mean, I think it's kind of crazy to me that Larry Fitzgerald may be underrated. Like I, 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 I can't wrap my mind around that. He's not flashy. How about wrapping how about wrapping your head around this? Calvin Johnson is number thirty-two all time in receiving yards, and the players are ahead of the Players ahead of him are Antonio Brown. Is Antonio <laughs> Brown a first ballot Hall of Famer? No. Derek Derek Mason has more receiving yards than him. Come on, man. Yeah. No. Jimmy Smith has more receive. Brandon Marshall has more receiving. Irving Fryer has more oh receiving yards than this man. Oh my goodness. And clearly, Lamb. yeah, clearly, like he didn't. He did Let's not make his teams better. That's for sure. But there are Let's some move on. more players in the 2022 Hall of Fame class that are going to be eligible. You have Demarcus Ware, Steve Smith Sr., Robert Mathis. We already mentioned Anquan Bolden. We already mentioned Andre Johnson and Vince Wilfork. Like, if you're picking now, who are any of those guys front runners to be in Canton next year? Any of that list? Um, I guess where would and Wolfork should now because of Megatron, you have to put in Smith and you have to put in Andre Johnson. I mean, I have to, right? Especially Smith. He'll be this will be his second go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are the. I, I never thought Richard Seymour was that great of a player, so he he doesn't need to go in, in my opinion. Now, Vince, Vince Wolfork definitely was a run stuffer. He definitely plugged that defensive line. He got championships he's got, too. He's got he got championships. No, he definitely does. Demarcus Ware was a disruptor. He was definitely a game disruptor. Um, I don't know, he's one of that class of guys that came out of Troy. You know him and Osu Minura and Matthias Kiwanuka. Oh, he came out of Boston College, but uh, that group of guys around that time who were just disruptors. And you know he definitely did his thing for the Cowboys and the Broncos. Solid career. I don't know if he'll go in on first ballot, but. Just from just from watching him play with the Cowboys, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Um, I'm just not sure about first ballot. Robert Mathis, good player. No, Robert Mathis is definitely a good player. I'm not sure. Another one. He may get in eventually, but not first ballot. Um, I think by process of elimination, that's going to leave you Andre Johnson and Vince Wilfork. Anquan Bolden, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Just for the Calvin Johnson factor, maybe. But, you know, Steve Smith, I mean, I would go Smith over Bolden. I would go Smith, Johnson, and Wilfork, but that's me. I, I think that's a solid main event group. And then we also forgot about Devin Hester. Devin Hester is in, uh, in this list, too. He, you know, he revolutionized the kick return game. So, yeah, I, I mean, as a total player, no. But as what he did in special teams... I think so. It's time for the mail route on the fade route. If you want to join us, email faderoutemail at gmail.com. Questions, comments, picks, you name it, faderoutemail at gmail.com. All right, boys and girls. So our email box is full. We have Four emails today. Four. So you keep sending them, and we will keep reading them on the air if they're good enough, of course. Email number one from Rob in Hell's Kitchen. What's going on, guys? Trevor Bauer fucked the Mets and went to the Dodge. Does this make them the favorites? What say you on this? Uh, it's hard to say they're not. You're repeating champions. Now, when you play this team, you go into their stadium, you're looking at a combination of Bauer, Kershaw, Bueller, and now Price is back. He's opting into this season. Of course he is. And he's healthy after a whole year of not playing. Uh, I mean, I'm a Braves fan, so I'd like to think that we'll see a repeat of the NLCS. I think they, they can match up with them sort of pitching. You know, they'll lead off with Fried and 
and Morton. But then it gets a little choppy after that with Anderson, Smiley, and Wright. Uh, they're just loaded. Uh, Betts and I think Turner came back and Seeger. It's just they're, they're incredibly deep. They're incredibly good. I don't know if there's a lot of teams out there that can hang with them. It's the right situation for him because he doesn't have to necessarily shoulder any of the additional load. I mean, there's a, it's a feasible scenario where he could actually be the fourth guy in that rotation, depending on how Dave Roberts decides he wants to set it up. Career, 75 and 64, 3.9. You know, those are decent numbers. I mean, they're not earth-shattering. They're not mind-blowing numbers. But you slot him into that rotation, and it looks a lot better. I mean, if you look at the contract, three for 102 multiple opt-outs, uh, average annual salary of $34 million a year. Like, he's betting on he's himself. Definitely... He's betting on himself, and he's going to – he has so much to prove because he's going to play well, and then you get into a situation where they're going to renegotiate next year. And then if you talk about fans coming back in full capacity next yeah. season, not this season, but next season – Oh my gosh, he has the opportunity to make so much damage. No, he's going. He's totally like. He's definitely going to increase his salary. It makes the Dodgers one of the favorites. I don't think it makes them the prohibitive favorite. So you have other teams in the mix in the National League. So the Braves are definitely a quality team. There's no guarantee the Dodgers will even win their own division. The Padres made so many moves. That's right. Like so many moves that That's they right. just got, like they got lapped, and we, I, I forgot that they even made a bunch of moves. So I mean, Darvish and Snell, and they already had Paddock, and they had Lamette, and you know you have a formidable team right there in their own division. The Mets, of course, provided that they stay healthy, like they probably need one more starting pitcher. So it does hurt the Mets from that perspective. I mean, it's nothing ventured, nothing gained. Like, great that you made the offer. You never had him, so it's not like, oh my God, he was a free agent. He was. But they'll have guy. another chance. Yeah, no, they'll have another chance. They absolutely will. I know they're in on a couple of other pitchers. Jake Arrieta doesn't excite me as a Met fan. James Paxton, I watched him with the Yankees. Like, dude's garbage. But he's straight freaking garbage. And, I mean, at this point, there's not. Trash. There's got to be somebody else out there, even somebody in a minor league contract that you can bring in <laughs> who's better than James freaking Paxton. So Sandy Alderson, you got it. There's a little leaguer out there that can get yeah, in you, there. You, you got to do better than that. Buddy. You got to do better than that. Coming out of the Central, you can't argue against the Cardinals now that they got Nolan Arenado. They just brought uh, they brought Yachty back. Like, they're the favorite in that division. The Brewers are making some moves. They brought in Colton Wong. I mean, they're trying to rebuild their staff on the fly. So we got to see what they can do. They still have Josh Hader at the back end of the bullpen. So, you know, you can always take them seriously. The Phillies are the Phillies. Like, I, I don't necessarily – I mean, they can hit with everybody, with anybody. I'm just not sure about their pitching. But bringing in Trevor Bauer makes, it, makes them one of – the favorites, I would say top three, but there's no guarantees in anything, and we just got to let the season unfold how it goes, you know. Um, second email coming from Steve in the Bronx. What's up, bros? Major League Baseball and the Players Union have a deal in place. What do you think it means for baseball? So, if you guys aren't familiar with the terms of the deal. So some on-field rules adjustments, very similar to what we had last year. The plan is for a full 162 games. The seven-inning doubleheader rule is still in effect. The damn second base, the runner on second base rule is bad. <laughs> the Rob Manfred, like, you deliberately do not listen to your fan base. But that's neither here nor there. The DH is off the table as of right now. The active roster will go back down to 26 
But instead of opening up in September to your entire 40-man roster, it's only going to expand to 28. And for road games, road teams will have a taxi squad from which they can pick five additional players. So you're going to have like a floating taxi squad where you can have healthy scratches and make the necessary roster adjustments in case of injury. Certain things I do like here. I mean, I do like, I like the double headers. I think it, it definitely made the game move a little bit faster. It was a little bit more exciting since you had to kind of truncate your strategy a little bit. I love, 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 love that it's only going to be 28 guys in September. There's nothing worse than September baseball when you have to slog through a three and a half hour game because Aaron Boone, and I'm just using you as an example, Aaron, needs to use a pitcher every single inning, a different pitcher for every inning. It drives me nuts. And it just, I changed the channel. I love baseball and it makes me change the channel. It's just so frustrating and it's so annoying. I love the taxi squad idea. There's no point in having a guy fly from Rochester, Minnesota to Miami, Florida, possibly getting COVID because he's got to go through the airport. He's got to go through the checkpoints. He's got to do all these things. Just take five extra guys, take two infielders, take two outfielders. I actually would make it a larger taxi squad. So you'd have like, I would make it. All right. We'll make it eight guys. Two infielders, two outfielders, a catcher, and the rest of the uh, the rest are pitchers. Just because oh, you'll have a double header, like things happen. Things happen in baseball, as we know. So the only one I'm vehemently against is that goddamn runner on second base. <laughs> and I think I've made myself clear so many times over. What do you think? Uh you know, the, the big thing for me is the universal DH. I'm glad that's out. I'm glad I think also expanded playoffs They're, are out, right? They are currently out as of right now. Right. So the expanded teams in the playoffs. Um, I hate I hate the idea. Uh, I don't understand why you would give the visiting team an advantage in extra innings. I don't see how that's fair at all. Uh, and you just you just – it just doesn't make any sense. Like how how is that a logical way to – to complete a game, uh, Rob Hanford is just awful. I don't know. It's just, I, I get that you want to speed up the game. I understand it. But at the same time, a way that you can speed up the game is to try and emphasize more of contact. So rather than the three true outcomes of walk, strikeout, or home run, kind of inter, you know inject a little bit of life into the game, and it won't feel as long. It, Oh, is that why they're deadening the baseball? Well, that's the rumor. Well, the, the, for for those of you who aren't in on this one, uh, they are trying to kind of streamline the performance of the baseball. I'm air quoting. That's not very good for radio and podcasting. They're streamlining the manufacturing of the baseball so it performs more consistently throughout. And David Price called them on it. I can't stand David Price, but good for you, David. <laughs> Good and Verlander, Justin and Verlander, Verlander too. But more recently, as of yesterday, David Price was, oh, so you're streamlining this. So you're saying that there was something wrong with the ball. There was something different about the ball that you're trying to change. And Verlander called him out on it. It was slip. It was slippery, and the seams were were tighter. I think. Um, yeah, like, dude, you just got caught with your pants down. Like Rob Manfred's the dirt worst. It's just, I, I like. <laughs> Say what you will about Gary Bettman. Say what you will about Roger Goodell. Like you can at least play them for comedy. Like Rob Manfred is the dirt fucking worth. <laughs> Next up, got an email from our buddy Donnie in Prince George, Virginia. What's going on, guys? The NFL honors had their award ceremony. Did Aaron Rodgers really deserve the MVP? I'm fine. I I don't think he really deserved the MVP. I mean, I was saying it all year that I I thought Dalvin Cook or King Henry should have got it. And you see how Tom Brady went through. He he beat Breeze. 
He beat Rodgers, and then he beat Mahomes and win the Super Bowl, but he's not the MVP. But one of the one of the awards I did have a problem with was Russell Wilson. Man, they were just <laughs> itching to give this guy an award this year. For for the first five weeks of the season, all we heard about was how he was having an MVP-type year. Then he started playing like trash, and now all of a sudden, he becomes the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. I don't understand why. I mean, he didn't do anything different this year than he's done every year of his life since he's been in Seattle. Like, he's always donating his time and his money to the Seattle Children's Hospital. And I'm not saying he shouldn't get the award. I'm just saying, like, gosh, they really wanted him to win something this year. And I don't even know he was at the Super Bowl. I guess they always give that award away at the Super Bowl. They do, yeah. They always have have some kind of presentation at the Super Bowl. Rogers, Rogers getting the MVP was fine. As a Tom Brady fan, it was it made it made me feel great to see him win it, and watch and makes Tom's victory over him that much better. Overall, I mean, we've discussed this so many times that we're blue in the face. Like it's a quarterback award at this point, unless there's absolutely nobody available. So I'm fine with Rogers winning uh, MVP, but I mean, a quick go over of the other awards. Overall Rookie of the Year went to Justin Herbert. Offensive Rookie of the Year also went to Justin Herbert. Chase Young was Defensive Rookie of the Year. I have no qualms with uh, any of those. Aaron Donald for Defensive Player of the Year over TJ Watt. I mean, flip a coin. I mean, I think that Aaron Donald had a hell of a year. Offensive Player of the Year, Derrick Henry. Yep, I can't argue with that. But here's what I can argue with. Most valuable player. Valuable. Again, the definition of value for me is that if you're not on the team or if you're not playing well, the team is the drizzling shits. And to me, that's Derrick Henry. Like, they're, I mean, the, the passing offense well, of yeah. the Tennessee Titans does not scare me. So yeah. Derrick Henry single-handedly had to carry the load on that team. So to me, if we're defining value, again, like, that is critical. And, I mean, the last two comeback player of the year, I mean, it was Alex Smith as soon as he stepped on the field. Yeah. So, congratulations to Alex yeah. Smith. I mean, you, you did a fantastic bang-up job almost taking the Washington football team to the next round of the playoffs. But, you know, Taylor Heineke had to come in due to injury. And he got rewarded with a two-year contract, by the way. So, good for Taylor Heineke. And he played better against the Bucks than uh, – <laughs> Oh man, he's never gonna live that down. I hope he passed his final too, because he he had to take a it was like a trig final or something like that. I don't yeah. yeah. And last but not least, coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski of the Browns. I don't know how you can argue with that. Like, I mean, is there anybody who you who could have put up a fight against Stefanski, considering that he had so much bad history of Cleveland against him? He did it, son of a bitch. He did it. <laughs> Slow clap. Last but not least, from Xavier on the two line. Okay, apparently this guy's mobile. The NBA is planning to have an all-star game. Are you guys for it or against it? Well, I'm definitely against it. Uh, Just seeing what the other major sports have done, none of them did an all-star game. I just think it's uh, reckless to bring all these players from around the league into one place and then send them back out. It's not like you can fill an arena with, you know, fans. Uh, And if you're doing this for the charity of it, then just write a check to whoever the charity is. And, you know, we'll, we'll get a game in at some other time when it's a lot safer and none of the players are in it. I know they keep saying on ESPN that some of these players are excited. They can't wait to compete. I, I haven't seen one player come out for it. I saw De'Aaron Fox say he's not interested. LeBron said, you know, his, his mind won't be there, you know, his, his and his body's tired. So um, I just think they should forego it. Never mind the fact that every other league forfeited their all-star game. They're not having it this year. The Pro Bowl, MLB, hockey, they're all postponing their all-star games. Now, from what I've heard, now we'll see what what becomes of this. They're also trying to combine the skills competition and the all-star game to one day 
so that you don't have an extended experience in that one host city. However, if I may, you're still having these guys fly from all over the country to a designated location, and then they're going to have to undergo the rigor, you know, your rigorous health screenings in order to make this happen. And you're going to have to create a mini bubble around this all-star game. Logistically, it's a nightmare. And then you want to have guys that aren't even participating in the all-star game at the game to compete in the skills competition during halftime. That's just dumb. For the lack of a better term, it's dumb. What's the incentive of this? To get eyeballs on TVs? The eyeballs are on the TVs already. So I'm with LeBron on this. I'm with De'Aaron Fox. It's absolutely irresponsible, and there's no reason other than the league trying to somehow line its pockets more. It's just not worth the time. And thanks a lot for the emails, guys. Again, if you keep sending them, we'll keep reading them. FadeRouteMail at gmail.com or hit us up in the DMs on IG at FadeRoutePodcast. And if it's a good one, it might make it to the mail route. More or less? Simple game, guys. We have a statement. It's either more likely or less likely to happen. More or less likely, the Bucks run it back next year. I'll cede my time to you. Yeah, I'm going to say it's more likely. Uh, a lot of people are calling Tom Brady the GOAT, and I just think it's an understatement at this point. Uh, he's a legend, all right? The, the guy should be listed with people like Russell, Bearer, DiMaggio, Mantle, and Henry Richard because that's the company he's with now. And you're just – you're trying to tell me that – the Bucks, who were I think seven and nine or six and ten last year, they add forty-three-year-old Tom Brady, and all of a sudden they get to the <laughs> Super Bowl. I mean, that's if they can bring players like Barrett, AB, Fournette, Sue, and David back, who are they competing against? Atlanta's in rebuild. Tom Brady, the, the New Orleans Saints are fifty million dollars over the cap. Looks like Drew Brees is going to retire. Aaron Rodgers has had his MVP season. I can't imagine him having another season like the one he just had. The Rams are a mess. The Carolina's rebuilding. So who's going to really compete with them? So I think it's more likely that they run it back. I'm going to go less likely that they run it back just because they're running up against history. And the last team to go back to back, if we're going to do a Venn diagram, Tom Brady's in the middle of it because it was the 0304 Patriots. So that was the last team to go back to back and win both Super Bowls. So it gets harder every year. New teams bubble up. The Chiefs will definitely be back. I mean, they're they're not going anywhere yet. They're not that they're not that bereft in the salary cap to where they can't make some moves. Players will opt back into the season, like six players on the Patriots defense, CJ Mosley for the Jets. <laughs> you know, you're going to have guys coming back. So teams will be fortified and new teams bubble up all the time. So like, it's going to be less likely, but I can definitely see them making the Super Bowl. Now, as far as Tom Brady, I mean, I don't know what else he needs to accomplish, to be honest with you. I mean, I think this year was kind of his vendetta year. So it's just like, I can sh I'll can i show you that I don't need Belichick. I'm not a system quarterback, and I can get this done. And I think he proved his point. At this point, it's just to, it's just to get as many pelts on the wall as he can. And I don't know if he can I, – I, I just don't know if he can hold on to that, that fire like once he's proven his point. I'm just not sure of that, but he definitely ranks high in the echelon of players. I mean, you listed, you, you listed the great winners 
in all of sports history. And Tom Brady definitely deserves to be near the top of that list. More likely or less likely, Patrick Mahomes has played in his last Super Bowl. I'm going less likely. He, I mean, he's such a dynamic player that even if he doesn't stay with the Chiefs, if, you know, if a Deshaun Watson situation happens or a Dak Prescott situation happens, or now we're hearing about Russell Wilson now being unhappy with not being involved in the decision-making processes up in Seattle. If somehow the relationship sours, I can definitely see Patrick Mahomes going to another team. So I just don't think he's done yet. I don't, think, I don't even think we've scratched the surface of how good Patrick Mahomes can be, and that's pretty scary. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to actually go uh, – I think it's more likely that he's played in his last Super Bowl. Uh, I just think – I think it's very hard. It's very hard. Uh, you could ask people like Russell Wilson, ex Dan Marino. Ex Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, these are guys that some paid in one or two Super Bowls and ha- and never made it back, or still haven't been able to make it back. Uh, and Pat just played in his second Super Bowl, so I think he has a chance with this group. But in the next two to three years, the GM is going to have to really make some good acquisitions good signings, good draft picks, because players like Travis Kelsey, surprisingly, are 32 years old. Um, You might not be able to keep a player like Tariq Hill. You might not be able to keep that offensive line. So I just think it's hard in the modern era to get back to multiple Super Bowls. Brady does it, but again, Brady's a legend. So that's why he's able to do it. I don't know how likely it is for a player like Pat Mahomes. And another to thing, back. too, just to, to kind of piggyback off of that, up until this year, Brady would consistently take less money to get better players on his team. And I think that's kind of what the situation is with Russell Wilson up in Seattle. Like, he has his big contract, and now he's upset <laughs> about the direction. Well, dude, you can't take all the money and then wonder why nothing yeah. around you. So I don't, I don't know if Kansas right. City is going to play that game with Patrick Mahomes. I don't think they will. But, you know, if Patrick Mahomes learned anything from the career of Tom Brady is that sometimes less is more. A little bit less in the, in the bank account. You still have your State Farm, you know, ad deal. So it depends on what he values more, money or winning. And some guys like value winning a lot more than money. Last one, more or less likely that Derrick Rose will help the Knicks make the playoffs. And I'm going to say this is more likely just because the Knicks play in the Eastern Conference. Now, the Knicks are currently 11-15. and So they are, I mean, they have the same amount of wins as the 8th and 7th seats. So Toronto and Atlanta, respectively. They have two more losses than the Raptors. So they are pretty close and deficiency what they they don't score enough they only score an average of 102 points per game Derek Rose is a great facilitator he can definitely pass the ball I mean he is definitely familiar with Tom Thibodeau's system at this point it's the third time he's played for Tibbs so at this point he's that veteran leader that I think will do well it's a question of the other guys on the roster. But, I mean, you have Alfred Payton, you have Austin Rivers, you have uh, Emmanuel Quigley, and you have Derek Rose. Like, that's a lot of guards. Like, maybe you can deal off a of Payton or you can deal off a of Rivers. Like, maybe you can move some of these assets to Washington for Bradley Beal and really, like, bump up that scoring. But just because... I mean, you have to go all the way up to the fifth seed to have a team at 500. That's how mediocre the Eastern Conference is in the NBA. So why not the Knicks? Why not? Yeah, I mean, I think they're more likely. I mean, I had them reach in the playoffs without him. 
So now you get rid of Dennis, Dennis Smith Jr., who only played in three games and really didn't do anything. And now he's really a non-factor. And now you get Derrick Rose, who's averaging like 14 points a game. And he's a former MVP. He's played in the Tibbs system. He wants to be there. He's healthy. He's excited to play. I, I can totally see them getting into the playoffs. I don't see oh, how absolutely. they Absolutely. And like, I, you know, who's to say that they're not done yet? You know, I mean, if you are the Knicks, would you call the Wizards about Bradley Beal? No? Nah. I, I mean, you're definitely. No. I'm just hoping Dallas keeps <laughs> losing. <laughs> and that's all and the I'm way things do. are going. I mean, they're, they're, there's no end in sight for the Dallas Mavericks right now. They just, I just saw they, I just, I just saw they won tonight though. I think that's two in a row. But I'm banking on that pick. I'm gonna live with whatever happens. They got a good core of guys. I'm not giving up any of my guys. And even I think some of the some of the coaches were happy for Derrick Rose to see him sign on for the Knicks, and they think that he's gonna be a good player for them. Eric Spolster came out and said, "Hey, that's that's a really good pickup. Like, he's a good player. Like." They, they got yeah, That's the thing about right. Tom Thibodeau, though. It's like he coaches for the moment. He's not coaching for next year. He's not. I mean, he goes for the throat all the time. So if you're a Knicks fan, like this is something you need to be excited about just because, I mean, Tom Thibodeau, like he's he, he's a throwback kind of guy. Like he's not like he's a hard nosed, defensive minded coach. Like it's you know, it's what every Nick fan goes back to like in their, like in, in their memories of youth. Everybody remembers that 94 season where they played so hard and they, you know, they were a hard nose. They ultimately lost. lost. But at the same time, like that, but that's the thing. Like they remember that team for, for being such a hard nose, scrappy kind of team. And if you can build that culture again, like you can build something here to where you're a perennial contender. And for a team and an organization that's been a laughing stock for so long, and you don't really need to look that far. Just look in the other locker room of a team you share the building with. The New York Rangers were a laughing stock for years for the amount of money they spent, and they got nothing in return. Until the lockout happened, coming out of the lockout, okay, we made the playoffs. Let's build on that. And now, right now, the Rangers are in last place in their division, but they (laughs) built themselves up to be a perennial contender. And they even got to the Stanley Cup. So, slow and steady wins the race. And sticking to a game plan and an organizational build will ultimately allow the Knicks to eventually get out of that joke status, but you need, uh, you're, they're building a good culture. They just need to stick with it. You're really selling hope. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for tuning in tonight. You can catch our podcast every Wednesday nights on the anchor Spotify or other uh, outlets where you listen to your podcasts until next time. Stay faded, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Rate us five stars. Leave us a review. Turn on subscription notifications and tell your friends. Spread the word. Spread it wide.